Hi, and welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Brian Chiklinski, joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Josh Israel. Hey, Josh. Hi, Brian. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, same. Today, we're joined by a member of Allidade's senior leadership team, Fong Phillips, Allidade's chief legal officer. She's talking to us about her personal story, what drew her to Allidade, and a little bit about her ideas around the interaction between legal teams and corporate leadership. I found it really interesting as a communications professional where I think I have some bad experiences of lawyers who just shot down every creative idea I had, uh, but she seemed to have a different approach. And, and Josh, I know you've had some experience as well on the on the actual care side with that. Yeah, she was speaking about how she makes decisions around risk, around how to decide if something should move forward at a, at a corporation. It reminded me of aspects of clinical medicine, where you, you often just cannot avoid any risk of bad outcomes when you're taking care of patients. Things can happen, and you can have health risks, you can have legal risk, exposure to malpractice suits. And really, the only way to avoid those altogether is to, to stay home. You know, when you are, are doing things, when you are trying to make a difference, there there can be bad outcomes. Uh, and I liked hearing about uh, how she thought about that. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy it as well. So here is our conversation with Josh, me and Fong Phillips, Allidade's chief legal officer. And now we're joined by Allidade's Chief Legal Officer, Fong Phillips. Hey, Fong, thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yes, yeah, so you are joining us from the West Coast, so it is definitely an early morning for you. First of all, I sympathize with any meeting times in the morning East Coast time that creep up on your calendar. No, it's not a problem. In fact, I'm one of those weird people that wake up at 4.30 in the morning, so I actually am part of the East Coast time. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, you're, you're more productive than a lot of our East Coasters, too. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We're talking today about what it's like to serve in a legal function in a fast-growing company, especially a healthcare company like Allidade. But I think we wanted to start by just getting to know you a little bit. First of all, some uh, folks who may be listening may have seen your blog post when you first joined Allidade about why you joined the company. But for those who didn't, you have a really incredible and inspiring story about coming to this country and what led you here. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that and what drew you to, to America and and some of the, the journey that your family went through? No, absolutely. I'm happy to do so. So as you all know, there was a war that happened and that was in Vietnam. And my parents for many years decided not to escape because of one big fear. They just didn't know how to swim. And the idea of escaping by boat in the middle of the night just was too treacherous for them. But then when they realized that there was really no hope for them to stay in the country and their hope was actually for their three young kids to be successful and educated, they were willing to take that risk. So we escaped in the middle of the night and were you know, in the water for quite some time. And my uncle actually joined us. And the interesting part of it was that I, as a young kid, was starving. So he saw another fishing boat in the distance jumped off our fishing boat and went to the other one, hoping that he could retrieve food for me. But then, of course, as you can imagine, that's really challenging to do, even to swim to another boat. But the best part of the story is that his fishing boat got picked up by the Canadian embassy. Our fishing boat got picked up by the U.S. embassy. So half of my family members are now Canadian, which I love because they're the much nicer crew of the group. But it's been lovely to to sort of have that experience. But when we were coming to America, 
one of the things that was really important to my parents was obviously getting us educated. But as you can imagine how challenging that is when you don't speak the language, you don't know anything that's happening. But because of the good graces of the government and of the community that supported us, we felt and I felt like I was just a normal kid growing up in the U.S. But the one thing I'll always remember so vividly was the primary care doctor that we had. This doctor spoke my parents' dialect. They brought us food. They treated us as if we were family. And as a kid, I thought that was really normal. Like, it's normal for your primary care physician to visit you and then bring you a doll or like to bring you an ice cream treat. It wasn't until I got older when I got my first job and I got insurance. And I remember saying to my parents, I'm so confused. I don't know who my doctor is. I don't even know when I can make an appointment because when I tried, they told me to come in three months. And so that's when my parents said that was government assistance that we were on when we first came to America. We relied on the good graces, as I've said before, of the government and of the community who really came together to help the Vietnamese immigrants and refugees. And so that to me was something really special. And that's what made me feel like I was a normal kid growing up in the U.S., having health care access that I think most people today don't even have. And so when I started my career, I became a lawyer. I worked in the tech industry, being in the Bay Area of California. And then when I recently helped a company being sold, it was time to look for a new job. And for me, I thought, how can I finally give back? And so when I started interviewing, it was really much, what company could I go to that was really mission-driven and that was really trying to make the world a better place, as cheesy as it sounds, right? And I met a lot of companies, but then I met Farzad at Alidade. And there was something that just drew me to him, his enthusiasm, his passion. But what he shared next was really what got me. He talked about health equity among all. And that's me. Like I am the result of health equity. And so for that reason, his passion, his love, and just the mission of Alidade, I instantly knew that this was my first choice. And so that's why I'm here. Thinking about your family's journey, maybe it's not a coincidence that the person who was most committed to sharing their fish ended up Canadian. Seems <laughs> that's right. But now he lives in Southern California. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if he's, if he's still sharing his fish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Fung, you were not working in healthcare before. No. What kind of jobs were you were you doing out in Silicon Valley and, and how have they contributed to what you're going to be doing here? Sure. So I actually started my legal career as a corporate paralegal back in 1998. And what really drew me was just the innovation and the disruption that was happening in Silicon Valley at the time. And as you can imagine, this was when all the dot-coms came to be and it was exciting and exhilarating and everything that I worked on as a corporate paralegal was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And that was in that was just so exciting. But, you know, I unfortunately went to law school during the dot-com bust at 9-11. And because of my corporate paralegal experience, I was really fortunate to actually get some summer associate offers and decided to go back to Wilson Sonsini, which is a law firm that I worked for as a paralegal and worked for for many years afterwards. And one of my 
big first transaction that I got to work on was the Google IPO. And so that really drew me again to the innovation and to the growth of smaller companies growing into these large, large companies. And so I had this love to see entrepreneurs come up with the most creative ideas that it almost seems crazy at the time, but then you fast forward 10 years, you realize it takes a really interesting, innovative person to think that that could happen years later. And so I have, I have this absolute love for, for growth and scaling. And so I went to a company in-house to take a company called Solar City Public and then worked there for many years. And the company scaled from like 800 employees when I first started to almost 15,000 by the time we sold to Tesla. And so I worked at Tesla for a bit after working on the acquisition. And shortly after that, I thought it was time to venture off into the space of gaming, which is so random. But for me, it's all about mission, right? So obviously at Solar City and Tesla, it's to have clean air and clean technology and truly taking care of the future and thinking about my young daughters and how they were going to grow up. Then the question is, what was the mission at Zynga? It's a mobile gaming company. And for me, it really was trying to change the perception of gaming. When you think of gaming, you immediately think of young boys in the basement playing for hours and hours and hours. And I say that because I have a brother who did that for most of his childhood. I don't think we saw him for dinner a lot. So, but at Zynga, because it's a mobile gaming company, the thing that I learned at the time was that 65% of the paying customers were women. Yet, how did people not think about that? And so when I spoke to the CEO and the board members, they gave me the opportunity and also the funding to create an environment where it was really much a representation of who our players are and what our company can look like. And so that was my mission at Zynga. And so all of that brings me to Alidate. What am I doing here? I'm really helping hoping that I can just help the company, again, scale, but grow in a more sophisticated, business-savvy way of conducting itself. And so I think all of my previous experience allows me to be a better listener, to come up with solutions rather than be that blocking unit that I think most lawyers think of, or what most people think of lawyers when you when they're working in-house. So that, that's my goal here is to be a business partner with everyone here at Allidade. Yeah, I uh, definitely have no firsthand experience as being a, a young man in a basement playing video games. Uh, so I'll move on from that. But I love the... Is that because you're a middle-aged man in the, video, middle-aged playing man in the basement? basement playing video games when the baby's asleep? Yeah. I think there's a really pivoting a little bit to the position that, that you want. I think you also have a very unique character in that you are someone who's in the legal field, but you're drawn to these companies that are disruptive and breaking things and breaking new ground specifically. And I think it's an interesting juxtaposition because I think people think of folks drawn to the legal field and folks in corporate legal offices are you know, supposed to be about entirely reducing risk and doing things a safe and predictable way. But yet you're at these companies that are by their very nature intended to break things and move fast and and chart new ground. What is what is that tension like? And how do you see that playing out in modern corporate structures today? Well, I think I will share one of my favorite learning experiences as a lesson for me to be a better business person. And it started off with 
my first month at Solar City. So I've always worked at a law firm. And, and as you said, Brian, lawyers tend to be a bit conservative because we were, we were always taught to give the right law. And so when you're at a law firm, you put together memos as a junior associate to follow the law. The law states the following. To be perfect, you must do the following, right? So that's how we were raised. But when I started working at Solar City, the CEO one day, I think it was after four or five weeks that I was there, he came up to me and he stops me in the middle of the hallway and he's like, Fong, so I have something to tell you. I like you as a person, but I kind of hate working with you. <gasps> Conservative lawyer who's been told by the CEO that he hates working with me. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is not good for my career. And I just left the law firm. But instead of just kind of letting it be and keeping my head down, I said, excuse me, what is it that you hate working about me, What working with me? And he's like, well, truth is, I didn't hire you to write the perfect memo. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, Fong, we're a disruptive company. We're trying to make a change. And in order to make a change, you have to take some risks. He's like, so I need you to always put your business cap on because you work for this organization. You don't work as an outsider trying to look in and perfect this organization. You have to be a business partner with me. And that to me was the moment in which I realized in order to be successful, I have to always create, think creatively, but also come up with optionalities, right? And so I try to share that with the rest of the legal department that I lead, which is you have to always listen and figure out what the goal is of that person, because the goal may sound a lot simpler than the request that was given to you. So Fong, what does a general counsel at a company like ours do? What are some of the issues that arise in building a healthcare company? So I think oftentimes when you think about what a general counsel does, it is about explaining clearly, getting the right people in the room, getting the right expertise, right? Because the reality is as a general counsel and me not being a healthcare expert, I can't sit in the room and say, this is the law. This is how we have to think about it. It's a, and, and oftentimes what you will see is words get quite complicated. And so my job oftentimes is to Take it down a few notches so that it's clear, it's concise, and at the end of the day, you do that so that the business partner can make the right decision. So it's bringing in the right folks, but also kind of explaining it. So that's, I think, my main job. My other job, really, is to be an advisor in a way that, that creates solutions. You know, I, I go back to this idea all the time that lawyers have a tendency to be black and white. This is a law. You can do it. You can't do it. But as Brian said, in order to be disruptive, there's no such thing as black and white. You always have to be in the gray and figure out. And I always say, start off in the 50 yard line because you're going to get somewhere with the other side when you're negotiating. Right. It's to help with negotiations and strategically it's to ensure that what the company does actually is in compliance, right? Like, as I say, oh, I'm not that conservative. I also don't want the company to break the law and get us in trouble, right? But I do have this philosophy that if you're going to work for a disruptive company, you need to think about the image of a cliffside. 
and you're hanging by your fingernails. You're still complying, but man, you're taking enough risk that you're not going to fall, but it's a little dangerous sometimes, right? And so I think to me, it's about ensuring that everyone gets the advice that they want in a way that is protective, but also as entrepreneurs do, innovative. Yeah, I like the the 50-yard line analogy. We had today's chief financial officer, John Doyle, on a couple episodes ago, and he brought up the idea of alignment and what drew him to Allidade was this really unique mindset, especially in a field like healthcare. There are just so many different stakeholders with different interests that often it's very easy for them to battle one another and to face off in this like unending war against one another and zero sum mentality. And he said one of the things that he found really intriguing about, you know, this model of value-based care that we're looking at is so much of it was centered on alignment, on focusing on playing a long game and making sure that the interests of the various stakeholders are aligned. And so when you're talking about negotiations and and I'd love to hear a little bit about that philosophy of, of starting on the 50 yard line, how, how do you, from a legal perspective and in the midst of negotiations, help all of these different stakeholders come to alignment and, and head in the right direction together? That's, that's a great question. And I absolutely agree with John Doyle on this, which is if you try to get too much in the beginning, your credibility goes down and the defense mechanism goes up on the opposing side. I mean, imagine me trying to start off a, a negotiation where I want a list of a thousand things. Nobody's going to even entertain that. And in fact, they may just get so annoyed that they are going to push back on all those thousand things, or they may just walk away entirely and say that you're being completely unreasonable. And so it's important to think about the 50-yard line because the truth is this is a long-term relationship, whether it's a contract with a vendor, whether it's a merger and acquisition, you're going to have a longer relationship than this fight in the negotiations. I never think of negotiations as a fight. I think of a way, I think of it as a way to balance the importance of each party. So if you start at the 50-yard line, both sides should. And you, and for me, I always start that statement early on in the conversation. We're going to start at the 50-yard line. And if you decide to push it too far, then we're going to have to take it back here. And the reason for that is at the end of the day, someone's going to be at the 48-yard line and someone's at the 52, but they're all pretty happy and satisfied at the end of the day. And so I, I think I think if you try to start there, there will be a lot of collaboration and you never know, you may even end up being friends with the person after negotiating, right? So Fong, as we as we wrap up the interview, any any last thoughts you have, things at Allidade that, that have been high points for you? Yeah, you know, I, I've been here for about six months. Oh my goodness, maybe seven at this point. But really one of my proudest moments was during the holiday season when Allidade went forward to donate money to an organization called RIP Medical Debt, where we were able to pay off medical like hospital debt for many, many patients in Louisiana and Mississippi. And that was something that, again, was the idea of the mission-driven reason why I joined Allidade. But there was a lot of interesting facets associated with it because on the legal side, when, when you think about trying to help an organization like this or even becoming an organization that could pay off medical debt, 
there's a lot of legal thoughts and and, and process to, behind it. And, and the first one was quickly learning that we ourselves, if we wanted to be a foundation, it would require a completely separate entity, completely separate set of uh, employees and so forth. And so that was a bit challenging for a company of our size. So the next step was, can we find an organization that does this and that we can partner with it? And that's how we found RIP Medical Debt. And I have to say, I I love sharing this with my family and my friends. And, and instead of getting a, an Allidate swag sweatshirt, instead we paid off medical debt for thousands of people. And that is incredibly powerful. And for that reason, I am so proud to be here at Allidate. Bong Phillips, Allidate's Chief Legal Officer. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. This episode was produced by Leanne Horst, Alana Coogan, and Stuart Taylor. You can find more episodes of The ACO Show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and join us next time 